Hi, this is Big Talk. Michael Glab here. Their official titles are school library media specialists. We civilians call them simply librarians. My guest this week has worked in libraries for more than 40 years. She started out as a library technician for the Monroe County Public Library and then, armed with a master's degree in library science, she embarked on a long career as one of those aforementioned school library media specialists for the Monroe County Community Schools Corporation. She oversaw the collections for Bloomington High School North from 1986 through her retirement. She's currently a member of the Monroe County Public Library Board. The quote on her Twitter page reads, The core of my being is what I do. I am a librarian. My guest this week is Kathy Lozer. Kathy, welcome to Big Talk. Thank you, Mike. Glad to be here. Well, once again, school libraries and books assigned for student curricula are in the news as several school districts have voted around the nation to ban or restrict what they consider to be controversial titles. The McMinn County School Board in Tennessee last month voted to forbid teachers from using Art Spiegelman's graphic novel, Mouse, as a teaching tool. Now, Spiegelman's two-volume book is a Pulitzer Prize-winning remembrance of the author's parents' experiences as Jews in Nazi Germany, including their incarceration in concentration camps. The books have been used by school teachers around the nations in their lessons covering world history and the Holocaust. One McMinn school board member said Mouse was being restricted because, to quote, some people objected to the words and graphics used in the book, unquote. Kathy, what was your first feeling when you heard about this story? Well, I must say it's not surprising because uh, book banning has been around for a long time. It rears its ugly head when we have a climate where people don't want the other uh, invading into their children's lives. or They want to ban ideas that aren't familiar to them. And so they want to make sure that no child has that opportunity to read. This kind of thing is, again, boy, it happens like cyclically, Kathy. The New York Times reported on January 30th that book banning is heating up around the United States right now. The Times story mentions a Wyoming County prosecutor who was considering filing charges against librarians for shelving books dealing with sex and sexual orientation. You you might have been a, a, a jailbird, Kathy, at one time. <laughs> well... Uh, librarians have been considered subversive species because we do protect the right to read, the freedom to read, what you want to read. And we have, even in the Constitution of Indiana, is embedded a right to read, the freedom to read. In the Indiana Library Federation, uh, their core, they reestablished their belief and their stance in the person's right to read, the freedom to read. The American Library Association, as of last fall, has caught wind of at least 330 book challenges, many of which covered multiple titles in schools and public libraries. The ALA calls this total unprecedented. Mm -hmm. Do you think things are getting worse now or plateauing, getting better? Well, I think that 
it's becoming more of a hot issue and an in thing to do. And so it's getting more press. And you've got all kinds of media and social media to help a person get their idea out there that they don't want the child to read this book. So I think book banning has been around, but we're seeing it raising the number of times that people have literally taken the book off the shelf. Challenges, is, and this is what I used to teach at the high school during book banning week, which is in October, challenges are when somebody objects. Banning is when they literally succeed in removing it from the shelves. And when I was at MCCSE School Corporation, we had what we called a reconsideration policy, which meant that you couldn't just go in uh, and remove it off the shelf. But what I've seen in the last few years, and even in my last years at Bloomington High School North, is there were there was a concentrated effort for people to come in and just take stuff off the shelf. They literally cannot do that, but they do, and more oh, and more okay, they're doing so you're it. Saying yeah. that these uh, people are doing what we might call extra legal things. They're coming in and taking books off the shelf. Yes. Uh, unauthorizedly. Right. And I think that, and then they're bringing them to the school boards and they, they're they're very well organized, the certain group of parents, a uh, certain group of community members. And I think that it's it's getting more press because of, I think, the whole systemic problems that we're having right now in the United States about the other or about people are not wanting to listen to diverse opinions. They don't want to understand how it is a good thing to read. That's the basic principle of democracy is being a freedom of press and the right to read and the freedom to read. Now, Kathy, uh, you talk about diversity of opinion and all that, but there is no opinion around the Holocaust. It happened. It's an historical event. So what in God's name (laughs) can these people be thinking to not want children to learn about an historical event? I really think it's even deeper than that. I really think there's a systemic push, I think since the 70s actually, to disrupt and make sure that public education is not funded the way it needs to be funded. So we first started out with why Johnny can't read. Thank you, Ronald Reagan. And they made a report where the Department of Education became very political. And so I've never seen this amount of uh, politics entering into school boards. And I think it's because there is a undercurrent. You can start with the Koch brothers. You can start with all the Her- American Heritage Foundation. You can start with all the people who have made it their cause with well-funded, orchestrated activities, events locally to disrupt public education and then to kill it. Well, I, I'm going to put this out there, Kathy. Uh, you you sort of put it back to the, the 1970s, but Throughout American history, this kind of nonsense has been going on. Uh, In the 50s, no doubt, uh, the anti-communist Red Scare 50s, there were, boy, there were uh, countless books that you couldn't read in schools, you couldn't teach from. This is part of our nature as Americans. I think it's part of the nature of the culture that we have is that we're not willing to embrace what it really means to be a democracy, that you do have freedom of thought, 
the right to read what you want to read. But I also think that there are groups of people who have become extremely organized who have taken on at the local level to make their point that, nope, we don't want you to teach our children or to indoctrinate them. Like we couldn't even teach one time um, yoga. There was a parent at uh, the school that really got upset that that's an indoctrination to another religion or breathing exercises. That's an indoctrination. So this... Was this complaint acted upon? Yes, it was acted upon directly to the principal. And that's what I'm saying is that this group, these groups of people, because I think they're, they are well-funded, are able to infiltrate local situations and local communities because, you know, banning books is local. Yeah. They do it locally, and they're able to do it, and they're able to get more press. They're able to be more oh, indignant about it, So, and they're well-funded. So I think that the other side that really believes, the librarians, the community members that believe that students should be reading Mouse or should be reading, you know, To Kill a Mockingbird or should be reading The Bluest Eye by Toni Morrison, right. they need to do the same kind of tactics that these other well-funded orchestrated groups are doing. Get involved with your school board. Know what's going on. Don't remain silent. Kathy Lozer, uh, a lifelong librarian, used to be the person in charge of the books at Bloomington High School North. Right now, uh, still works in library business as a member of the Monroe County Public Library Board. I ask you this. I'm going to put you on the spot, Kathy. Ready? Mm -hmm. When is a kid old enough to learn about the Holocaust? A child is old enough to learn about the Holocaust as soon as the parents think that it's okay in their home. But they also need to be starting to learn about the Holocaust in classes in the elementary school. I think it should start in the elementary school. All right. Slavery. I think it should start in the elementary school. Sex trafficking. I'd say that that would be a one that I really think that there are ways, if you're teaching the kids about stranger danger in kindergarten, that's right up that same alley. So why not? It's in the neighborhood. It's Yeah, you've got to understand, don't dismiss a child's intelligence by watering down stuff. You've got to be very honest with them. And that means the parents have to learn how to parent. The parents have to learn basically that Trust is a two-way street. Trusting of your child, trusting of your schools, trusting of your teachers, and trusting of your librarians. Well, there's the thing, that trust idea. There is a feeling out there, we don't trust these people anymore. We don't trust the Kathy Losers mm -hmm. of the world to make these decisions. We want to make them ourselves. I think every parent has the right to determine what they bring into their child's life in their home. But when you try to take things away from other parents' children, that's wrong. You can't. You live in a society, so you have to figure out a way that you can just kind of back off and trust the education system, trust the librarians, trust other people, because we're not collecting collections just for your child. We're collecting it for the community at large, the public good. And I think the public good has gone out the window 
We have to quantify everything. We have to measure everything. Thank you, Ronald Reagan, for that, too. But anyway. (laughs) (laughs) It's always political. It is. It it is. Because when I started in education, I started in, I actually started um, teaching kindergarten. And I've taught pretty much every grade. I also taught in public and private school, Jewish and Catholic. And the one thing that I think is important is that when I first started, there was that trust of public education. There was that thought that, you know, you've studied, so we think we are going to trust you to do the right thing for our child. We're going to trust the public library will collect books that represent the diversity of our community. And right now, we have networks that build on lies and myth and don't trust anybody, fear people that are not like you, fear ideas that aren't yours. And so we have this very tribalistic kind of point of view in local communities where it says, you know, you can't teach my child this. You can't teach my child about peace. You can't teach my child about what happened in Ferguson. You can't teach my child about reanalyzing why we invaded Iraq. Those are some of the things that I encountered at Bloomington High School North that people question at the administrative level why I would be bringing up these topics of conflict. And it's because the students asked to be talking about those. Uh I think education is to open the mind, not to shut it. And I think that when you start to ban and censor books, you are shutting off a rich part of our democracy, which believes in, I think, the public good, believes in, or I think it's a foundational thing in terms of having our democracy survive, is that we do have a free press. We do have the right to read, the freedom to be intellectually curiosity, have our curiosities met. We have a, a large faction, I think, in our nation today that doesn't believe that. They believe in fear-mongering. They believe in lies. They believe in anything. I recently read a statistic that said that years ago when we had the news reported, they would spend one to two minutes on a story. Now the average time is 12 seconds. So in 12 seconds, a person listening to the news can get their mind just blown, literally, by a 12-second bite, and then they grab onto it, and they don't go in depth. They don't understand it, and they don't want to understand it. Kathy Lozer, did you have mouse on the shelves at Bloomington High School North? Yes, we had it on the shelves, and we had several copies. We at least had 10 copies of each of the volumes. And at one point, Mouse was selected by the students in the state of Indiana, and it was called the Elliott Rosewater High School Book Award Program. And they selected that graphic novel to be on that list. And um, it was read, it was taught, it was um, a popular book. And now it's extremely popular because Tennessee wants to, Tennessee has managed to take it off the shelves. Just to clarify uh, what the Tennessee School Board, uh, McMinn County School Board has done, is take the book away from the curriculum Mm -hmm. as opposed to a ban. I don't even know if they have it in their library or not. Uh, Had you heard anything on that order? I don't know if it's been taken off the shelves in the library, but... I would assume that somebody wants it off the shelves. You know books. 
and you know what's hot right now and you know what's controversial right now, are there any books that you would say are inappropriate for, say, an elementary school kid? Well, definitely anything written by Howard Stern. <laughs> Is he writing books still? <laughs> well, I'll, let me tell you a story about that. Go right Because, um, you know, when I was at the high school, I would bring my students to the book corner to buy books for the library. And they went through the uh, making an acquisition list and trying to build a collection that represented all points of view. Because I think the best thing to encourage high school students to read, because we know statistically and we know by research that they do stop reading as much as what they did when they were in high school, middle school and elementary school. So my goal was always to continue to try to get them um, excited about reading. And one thing was get the give them the opportunity to buy books for their own library. And speaking of Howard Stern, I had a student who bought one of his books that was pretty racy. And it, it was not really even appropriate for the high school library. It just wasn't one. It wasn't well written. It had a lot of um, images in there of, of sexual poses and things like that. And it was, it, it was for an audience that wasn't for a high school audience. And so the student said, I really think it'd be great. Kids really like Howard Stern. And I said, well, okay, let's, let's get it. And since I worked with Book Corner, and Mrs. Taylor, who is the owner, I would a be able to take the books and we could look at them, assess them once we get them. Because reading reviews and making your list isn't exactly the same as getting it and then looking at it. So what happened is we sat around the table and we had a discussion. And I had the kids look at the book. And I said, and this goes back to what I said about respect and trust. I trusted the kids. I respected the students at North to be able to have a good discussion about the book. And then they had to make the decision collectively, not just one person. And I know he was really doing it as a, let's see if she'll really buy it. Just testing the waters. Mm -hmm. The high schoolers do that. We all did that. So he looked at that and we talked about it. And I said, okay, Brett, if you like this book so much and you think it's important, and all the other kids were saying, well, yeah, yeah, freedom to read, you know, throwing that in my face. And I said, well, I would like for you to take it home and talk over it with your parents. What do you think they would say? Because in a school library, we do act as in parentis loco. That yep. is our legal standing. And so I said, you go home and you talk to them. You tell me there's value adding it to our collection. And I'm getting a sense that your peers here are kind of agreeing with you. Although I don't believe they have a solid argument. Go ahead, take it home and see what they say. He wouldn't take it home. I said, why not? He said, I know what they'll say. What would they say? I said, I still want you to take it home. Um, I stay, take it home because we can return it. That's not a problem. And he said, well, really, Mrs. Loser, I was just doing it to make a point. <laughs> I, I really don't think it's appropriate either. <laughs> kids are kids, Kathy Loser. Yeah. Let me be a devil's advocate here. You said take this home and see what your parents say about it. Couldn't the argument be made that a kid took the news that Mouse was going to be taught in this school in McMinn County, Tennessee, and the parents said, hey, that's not appropriate. Yeah. Well, what's the difference? There's not a difference, but the difference is what happens after that. 
if the parent says like maybe the Howard Stern book or the mouth book, I'm not, it's not, I'm not saying it's equivalent, but they took it home and they said, yeah, or no, that doesn't mean that they have the right to take it away from another student. If there's value that has been deemed that it is a valuable book, it is needed in the collection to round out the things about the Holocaust, a perspective, a different format, because it's a graphic novel, and it would appeal to some kids who didn't want to read a whole thick 400-page book on the graphic no- or on, on the Holocaust. It's very poignant. It's, it gets the point across. You have empathy. So if that person said it doesn't belong and they remove it, the next step, I would hope that every school librarian would be adverse in the idea of what do you need in your toolkit to keep that book on the shelf because it's deemed it needs to be taught. You need to have things in place from the school board's perspective, from your perspective, where you have a collection development policy and procedures. Johnny's mother doesn't want him to have it because he took it home and said, this is on the library shelf. Then Johnny's mother has the responsibility of going through the process. It's like give it, It's like due process for an individual. You need due process for the books. And if you don't have a policy in place in your school library, the public library has it, and usually they're called reconsideration policies. They may be called something different now because the terminology may be different. Every school corporation needs to have something in their toolkit in, in form of a policy that says you can't just remove it. We're going to evaluate it collectively, respecting your your right to challenge it, but respecting the other parents' right, because it's not just your school. It's not just Johnny going to this school. It's a lot of people, and there's value in this book. So in the past, when I served on reconsideration policy committees, where it was comprised of students, parents, the objector, the principal, we would have to read the book. And we'd have to come together collectively and say, I think it has value, and it stays. Well, considering that the book Mouse is uh, the object that got us onto this topic, Mm -hmm. what is your take on the use of graphic novels as teaching tools in schools? I think they're very valuable. Another story I'd like to tell you about is when— Yeah, I told you about the program I had with the students where we would write grants, too, to build up parts of our collection. And when graphic novels were kind of surfacing, and they have been proven to be very valuable in helping kids start to develop a love of reading or continue their love of reading. The the mixture of pictures and words and text in a graphic form, it's, I think, a beautiful way to get across a message. And I think they're very valuable in teaching uh, a concept. A graphic novel is appealing, especially to high schoolers and middle schoolers. So we wrote a grant, and I had the students write a grant to the state, and we got $2,000 to build up a graphic novel collection. And, of course, in the school system, it has to go through the process of principal, then the assistant superintendent for curriculum. And it was rejected by the super assistant superintendent for curriculum because she says, oh, that's so inappropriate to have graphic novels. Huh. And I went, why? She understood graphic novels to mean porn. Huh. And she was in charge of our curriculum. This was many years ago. I would say it was about uh, 15 years ago, the first graphic novel that I ever bought. And I have a whole collection of them at home. They're terrific. I love, I love them. them too. Yeah. 
the first one I read was a biography of J. Edgar Hoover. It was illuminating. It was about him and about his effect on democracy and so forth. This was serious stuff, although it looked like comic book, Mm -hmm. but it was of great value to me. Can you think of any others besides Mouse that are uh, terrific graphic novels? March. Uh Uh-huh. Yeah. Nate Powell, uh, Nate Powell, who has been a guest on with, Big Talk, yep, mm-hmm. was the illustrator. Yeah, the first graphic novel I read was, you know, when we started this process, and it was uh, a graphic novel that was on that list of the Elliot Rosewater High School Book Award program list. The book was called Pedro and Me. I just went, Ugh, what? Because it was uh, it was about the story of oh that MTV show where they put roommates together. And oh, real world. Yeah, real. That's what it was called. And yeah. it was, uh, I think his name was Paul Winnick. I just thought I was in that mindset that, you know, well, I don't know. It's not my favorite thing, but I know kids like it. Uh, I don't know why it's on the list. That's where my mindset was. Mm-hmm. And I had a student who re- who was supposed to be reading some things and was trying to get him interested in reading outside of his, he was stuck in one genre. His tunnel. Yes, and um, he says, well, you won't read Pedro and Me, and I think it's a really good book. I'll tell you what. I'll read the book that you want me to read, and you read Pedro and Me. And that's the first graphic novel I read, and I was hooked. I loved it. Unfortunately, this, the student uh, didn't like my book. <laughs> <laughs> Are you optimistic or pessimistic today for the future regarding this topic? banning or restricting books in schools? I think I'm a little more optimistic in terms of this topic because the students and the the people that are savvy to get on social media and just for example, the more you want them not to read something, the more they're going to want to read it. I think these students are going to definitely bring us around. Well, it's a timely topic school boards and uh, various legislatures around the country are thinking about restricting or banning books in schools, in libraries. It's an ongoing problem here in America. Our guest this week has been Kathy Lozer. She's a retired Monroe County Community Schools Corporation librarian. She was the big shot in the library at Bloomington High School North. She continues to work in libraries as a member of the Monroe County Public Library Board. Kathy Lozer, thanks for being on Big Talk. Thank you, Mike. And get out there, students and parents. You have the power as much as those banners do. Mm-hmm.